0: The Old Testament scripture reading for this morning, as well as the sermon text, comes from Exodus chapter 16, beginning in verse 1. We will read the entirety of the chapter. The whole Israelite community set out from Elim and came to the desert of Sin which is between Elim and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they brought in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. And in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, You will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us but against the Lord. Then Moses told Aaron, Say to the entire Israelite community, Come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening, quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Give each one, uh, each one is to gather as much as he needs. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, he, was, he who gathered much did not have too much. And he who gathered too little did not have too little. Each one gathered as much as he needed. Then Moses said to them, no one is to keep any of it until morning. "'However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. "'They kept part of it until morning, "'but it was full of maggots and began to smell. "'So Moses was angry with them. "'Each morning, everyone gathered as much as he needed, "'and when the sun grew hot, it melted away. "'On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, 2 omers for each person. "'And the leaders of the community came "'and reported this to Moses.' You are to gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where he is on the seventh day. No one is to go out. So the people rested on the 7th day. The people of Israel called the bread manna. It was white like coriander seed and tasted like wafers made with honey. Moses said, "This is what the Lord has commanded. Take an omer of manna and keep it for the generations to come so that I can uh, so they can see the bread and give uh, I gave you to eat in the desert when I brought you out of Egypt." So Moses said to Aaron, "Take a jar And put an omer of manna in it. Then place it before the Lord to be kept for the generations to come. As the Lord commanded Moses, Aaron put the manna in front of the testimony that it might be kept. The Israelites ate manna forty years until they came to the land that was settled. They ate manna until they reached the border of Canaan. An omer is a tenth of an ephah. Thus ends the reading of god's holy word let us go to our god and ask for his blessing upon his word our lord this is your word and we ask that you would speak to us through it we ask that you would open our the eyes of our heart that you would soften hard hearts and indeed that you would make your name and your glory known to us through it Lord, we pray that you would bless the hearer as they hear, and that you would give the speaker clarity of thought and wisdom and guidance, all in the power of your Holy Spirit. This we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. When I was a child, uh, one of the songs that we used to sing In church or in our uh, good news club, uh, went something like this. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice, and you'd repeat it. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I'd say rejoice, and then you'd come to the part where you become around, and you say rejoice, rejoice, and again I say rejoice, and you know, we would do this round uh, uh, with different kids singing the same uh, th- part and uh, or singing different, singing the same words in different parts, and over and over again until the teacher had her fill of our, I'm sure, what were beautiful voices singing in perfect harmony. Uh, but I think back on that time in that particular song, it truly was an instant where there was this beautiful sound coming the mouths of babes and infants not because our singing was so wonderful but because of the truth that was coming from our lips uh, you see i didn't know it at the time i'm sure i didn't when i was very young uh, it was only later in life that i came to understand that this song that we were singing actually came straight from the scriptures uh you know that this wasn't just a nice thing to say or a nice thing that christiany people should do but that it was a command that we find in Philippians chapter 4 to truly rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice to always find a reason to rejoice because of the joy of the Lord. Now, that may not sound like a startling truth to you that we as Christians are to rejoice in the Lord at all times, And in all places, perhaps you've known you're supposed to do this all your life. There's nothing particularly earth-shattering about that idea here. But perhaps it should be a little bit. It should be more startling to us than we realize. Because this isn't an optional command. It is not up for debate it's not something you get to do when you feel like it or not do when you don't. This is your reasonable service as a follower of Christ, as one who belongs to the triune God. God has called us and even commands us to rejoice in him always. Meaning at all times and in all circumstances, whatever they may be, and in all Places and to not do so, to not rejoice, is a serious sin against our Lord and against our God. And truth be told, I highly doubt any of us realizes how serious a sin it is to not rejoice in Him, or uh, to put it in other words, how serious it is to complain about the circumstances in our lives, to grumble about how bleak it all seems. We don't take this particular sin of complaining or lack of rejoicing all that seriously. Just consider how many times you found yourself complaining or grumbling just this past week about one thing or another, about this or that, and try as we might even when we are conscious and fully aware that we are not to do so, yet we still grumble. I guarantee you that this past week there were moments when you did not rejoice in all of the circumstances that the Lord has put before you, but instead grumbled and complained. And yet, people of God, when we come to a place like the text that is before us, when we see our God, we see a God who does take this sin seriously. And so, the question as we come to this text is: What is at the heart? Of it? When we grumble and complain, what is the heart of the matter? And can it be solved? And if so, how? How do we move forward with it? Let us dig into the text this morning as we first hear a complaint in the desert. A complaint in the desert. As you come to uh, the first three verses this morning, Uh, you'll notice Moses wastes no time as he writes to get to the heart of the matter. Uh, That's one of the things I love about the the Hebrew authors. You know, they get right to the point. What is the main issue? What is the main problem that is here? And the text tells us that after the people of God have refreshed themselves at the springs of Elim, uh, for some time, for at least a few weeks, because now as they prepare to depart again out into the wilderness, it's been six weeks since the parting of the Red Sea. So they've been at Elim for a, a, at least a number of weeks. And the, tells us, the text tells us the people of God rose up, and all the congregation, the whole assembly, they all left that place and began their pilgrimage again into the wilderness. And again, right away, a problem arises. In fact, it is the problem of the text. The whole chapter centers around how God will deal with this particular issue and what it means when he does. It tells us that the food stores start running short. And you'll notice the language of the text. Again, the whole congregation, the whole people of, the, of God, all of them, down to the last man, grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. A whole nation of malcontents. And the first thing I want you to see about this particular situation before we dig into the nature of their complaint is this pattern that keeps emerging here and will emerge again even next week. And it continues to emerge all throughout the book of Exodus. That the people of God have a habit of complaining. One that is not easily broken. Habits are not easy to break, are they? I, I mean, uh, have you ever tried to break a habit? Uh, and then returned right back to it within a week? Have you ever tried to uh, get out of bed the first time the alarm goes off instead of on the second or third? Or to try to change your bedtime routine? Have you ever tried to stop biting your fingernails or your mom and dad uh, 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 trying to get you to stop picking your nose in public? Uh, All of these things are habits that are extremely powerful over us. And the people of God have a habit of complaining all throughout the book of Exodus. And that may be true of us as well, and you may not even realize it. You know, uh, you consider yourself a glass-half-empty kind of person, or you're a realist uh, who just happens to see all the imperfections and flaws in any given situation or person. And that's how you see yourself. But ask your spouse or someone close to you, do I complain regularly about work, about the rain, about the lack of rain? It is easy for us who live in one of the most privileged countries of the world to complain or to have a habit of complaint. And for Israel, this habit of complaint has gone on for years as they have suffered under the bondage of Egypt. As they have groaned under the labors uh, or or the uh, taskmasters. It's unlikely that they are rejoicing under those circumstances of slavery. And once Moses is sent to deliver God's people, the people of God rejoice for just a moment. But when Pharaoh hears it and they increase their labors, Israel grumbles and complains again immediately. When they are hemmed in at the Red Sea, when they have been released from bondage, they have so much to rejoice about. And yet we see Israel complaining and whining and saying, have you brought us out into the desert to die because there were not enough graves in Egypt? They complain at Mara about the water, and lo and behold, in our text again, the moment things begin to look a little difficult, they complain once more. And it's hard to overestimate its importance here, but Israel is in the habit of complaining, and they can't seem to get out of it. We might look at all of these circumstances, all of these things that they've gone through, and Want to be sympathetic and say, you know, well, it's sort of understandable. You know, look at everything they've gone—that's gone wrong for them. They can't seem to catch a break, but that's simply not true. Because for everything that has gone wrong for the people of God, something else has gone right. You see, people of God, the problem is, as Philip Graham Ryken put it, he says, "Our complaint, our complaints, really are never caused by our own outward circumstances." but instead revealed the inward condition of our hearts. There is a problem here, on the inside, not in the situation. The circumstances have changed multiple times for Israel, and yet they continue to complain at each new turn in the road. And Paul says, and, and, and again, Paul says we can in all circumstances, whether in want or in plenty, rejoice in the Lord. But what is it, as you hear these things, what is it that is the nature of this particular complaint? I mean, I want to think about, is their complaint even legitimate? Well, just hear what they say. Oh, if only we had died in Egypt. Really? No, no. They aren't even satisfied that God has done anything for them at all. If only we had died under bondage and under slavery, where we sat by meat pots and ate bread to the full. I hope you hear that and realize, you know, this is a bit of an exaggeration, uh, you know, and this is typical for us when we complain. Uh, we'll often look back on something, perhaps the way things used to be or the good old days, and say, you know, things used to be great, but now they're not anymore. It's like we forget all the pain and suffering that went on then too. We're quick to forget the hard times and remember only the good. And just listen to Israel as they look back to the one of the worst times in their history. Oh, we used to sit around the meat pots and eat bread until we were full. I wish That only we had died in Egypt because at least there we had full bellies. Even that is an exaggeration. Slaves rarely got what would have been their fill in their sustenance. We're quick to forget the place where they were whipped and beaten and bloodied. And now they say to their God, I wish that you had left us there to die. And finally, notice... Not only the legitimacy of their complaint or their, uh, uh, their exaggeration of the point, but notice who they direct their complaint against. It says they complained against Moses and Aaron. Now that word complaint, it can be understood as a formal accusation as well. Like when you, you know, go to a courtroom and say, uh, uh, my landlord didn't fix the leaky roof and now all my stuff is ruined, so I want to file a formal complaint in order to be heard. It puts someone in the dock. In, the, in a courtroom setting. Someone goes on trial. And it seems like they're saying. It's all Pastor Moses' fault. And this uh, good for nothing elder Aaron. They put the leaders of the church on trial. Leaders who are seeking their spiritual good. Who are seeking to build and strengthen the church of God. Because things aren't as good as they used to be. But Notice. It's not really Moses and Aaron who are in the dock. It's not Moses and Aaron who are being put on trial. It is God Himself. That's what Moses and Aaron say in verses 7 and 8 when they say, Your grumbling's not against us, it's against the Lord. You see, that's why grumbling is such a serious sin. It's because we think. We're only discontent with the circumstances that are brought around us uh, or, or we can blame our leaders or the people or the situation. But every single time that we grumble and complain, whether it's about our children or our parents or our neighbors or our work, we are grumbling against God himself. We find fault with him because he's the one who governs over all of his creatures and all their actions. And the truly amazing part of the story is that whenever these complaints go forth, our Lord doesn't just smite them. He doesn't just strike them down. The truly amazing part of the story, and I hope that is what you will see, is is not that the people of God are sinners. that should not shock us. But that God, in spite of their complaint against them, gives them provisions in the desert. Provisions in the desert. You'll notice in verses 4 through 18 how God responds. As I said, he doesn't strike them down. Uh, He will, in numbers, uh, over a very similar issue with quail, but not here, he will strike out against them. But no, here he is gracious to them. He condescends to their needs. He stoops down and says, you know what, I'm going to rain down bread from heaven. I'm going to feed you in abundance, so much so that it will uh, flood the desert. Every day of your wilderness wandering, I'm going to provide for you everything that you need. Moment by moment, I am going to take care of you in spite of your complaining spirit. The only catch is that it will be day by day. You'll be dependent upon me every single new day the same way. Every day, every single day, the people of God will have to trust God, trusting that He will provide for them, that He will feed them, that He will clothe them, that He will satisfy their true basic needs, not their wants, mind you, not their excesses. Remember, He just gives them bread, the most basic of all sustenance. But God answers the complaint of the people of God. And you'll notice he does it in a way that requires God's people to grow in their trust of him, to continue to grow in their dependence and trust in him. For every single day for the next 40 years, Israel will be taught this lesson over and over and over again. They will re-hear and see with their eyes their need to trust in their God that he will provide for them their daily bread. What a wonderful truth, people of God. That God will provide for his people all that we need, each and every day. The promise doesn't change. It might not look like what you want. It might not look like the meat pots of Egypt. But it will be everything that you need, day by day, because he is the Lord. God has already demonstrated to his people over and over again that he is the Lord and how much he is in control over all things. He's brought down plagues upon all the enemies of God. He's brought the waters of judgment down upon their head. He's made bitter water sweet. And now he brings manna from heaven to feed his people. He demonstrates over and over again his willingness and his desire to provide as a heavenly father for his children. And you see God's people see, must see, and know and trust that he he has done all of that, protecting you from the people or the enemies of God, that surely you can trust that he will provide you your daily bread. And Isn't that literally our daily prayer? You know, the prayer that we pray even each Lord's day, that God would give us this day our daily bread, that he would sustain our needs, that he would uh, meet the needs that we have this day. It's our hope that God's people would come to trust completely on the provision and providence of God. That's what we hope would happen for ourselves and what we hope would happen for the people of God here. But that's not what we see, is it? The provision of God is set before them, but they do not see it. It's not what we see in our own lives. Each and every time we complain, we are not trusting in the provision of God. It's not that we see in Israel's life uh, here in this text. Notice Moses gives them specific instructions. Gather Gather just enough bread for the day at hand, and yet there are some who gather more. Why? Why would you gather more? Why would you take more than what was supposed to be taken? Because they cannot trust that God will truly care for them, and the bread begins to breed maggots and to stink, and it becomes a stench in the nostrils of God because they do not trust God's provision. They don't know that they can take God at his word. The same God who has brought them through the Red Sea, they don't know if they can trust that God or not. And then we see them do it again in the text. God tells them on the sixth day, take twice as much so that you can rest on the day that I rest. I'm going to take a holiday, and so you take one too, and I'll provide whatever you need on those two days. And yet we see God's people walk in disobedience. They ignore the Sabbath day and the rest that God provides for his people. Because surely we just need to keep working. Surely we can't actually take the day to worship and rest in you. God provides them not only for their physical or their physical bellies, but he provides them a rest and it is ignored until finally the whole text culminates in verse 28 where God says, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? How long will you fail me? How long will you sin against me? You complain and you mutter discontent, and you're constantly dissatisfied with me and my provisions for for you, when are you going to get it? And that is the question for us, isn't it? Because like it or not, we are Israel. We constantly sin against him, especially in these ways. Daily, we complain about our circumstances and say things like, oh, I'm just venting, or I'm just frustrated. And those are just nice, polite ways of saying I am grumbling against the God who has brought these particular circumstances into my life and against the people that he has put into my life. And I need to hide it and I need to soften it a bit, but I am doing the same thing as the Israelites here. You see, people of God, the problem before us is that God expects us to rejoice always, to no longer grumble and complain against him, and yet we cannot keep that law. And so where do we go from here? What does the text push us towards and drive us to? Well, you remember back in chapter 15, we were showed the only way forward for the people of God. When Moses, this servant of God, this one who has been set apart to intercede for the people of God, he obeys the bitter word of the Lord so that the whole congregation might be able to drink of the living water. You see, our Lord has been pointing out all along, even here, where God's people fail him miserably to the cross. To see Christ Jesus and our need of him, our continuous, everyday dependence of him. The one who would be perfectly obedient to the will of the Father. The one who would never utter a grumble or complaint. The one who would stand as a lamb before his shears and open not his mouth, never raising a word of complaint against his heavenly Father. When he was in the wilderness without food and the devil told him to turn these stones into bread that you might eat, Jesus said, does not, or man does not live by bread alone, but by every word which proceeds from the mouth of God. And he would live by that very word, a word that we have been unable to keep. Don't you see, people of God? Christ came down from heaven. He rained down as the manna from heaven, as our provision to feed his people. He becomes the bread of life, the very Provision the people of God need on a daily basis to trust anew upon day by day. You see, people of God, the good news of the gospel is that God knows that we are disobedient complainers, that we are sinners, that we grumble and complain against him, and yet he provides for his people anyway. And that even while we did not trust him, even now, after he has delivered us from bondage and our sin by his death and resurrection on the cross, even now he provides for us all that we need. Even the faith necessary to grasp hold of these precious promises and believe those too are a gift from him. You see, people of God, our Father has provided us everything that we need for life and godliness. As Second Peter says... He is the provision that we need. And you might say, well, yeah, pastor, but the bills are due next week and I have no money to pay them. I might lose the house. And that's true, you might. In God's providence, he might bring you through some difficult seasons in your life. But don't you see, people of God, God's provision is greater than even a weekly paycheck. He has given you his own son. Shall your heavenly father then not provide for your basic needs shall he not cover you even he who is over the uh, who who clothes the lilies of the valley more splendidly than the clothing of Solomon he who knows what happens to the sparrow in the field will he not care for you ask your father what would he do for you would he give you a snake if you asked him for a fish No, people of God, we serve a good and loving God who has given us so much. He has demonstrated his provision and his love for you even in his own son so that you might have the freedom from your sins and life everlasting in his presence. And if all that is true, if he has truly done that, then people of God, what is our response to be as we walk out those doors? Rejoice. Rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let us not grumble. For surely to grumble and complain to our God who has given us so much in Christ Jesus, and to crumble and complain against him, it cuts against the very heart of the gospel of this generous, loving God who will meet all of your needs. Let us be thankful, not only for all that he has done for us, but his promise that he will care for you even to the very end. And at that end, he will reward you and allow you into his presence, into everlasting life. We trust these promises anew that our God will provide for all of our needs, even as he has done once and for all in the person and work of Christ. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, we see clearly from your word how weak we are, how desperately we need you. For surely, Father, we have sinned against you in thought and word and deed. We grumble against the providences that you put in our lives. We complain about the various circumstances. And, oh Father, We pray that you would soften our hard hearts. Turn us from these grumbles and complaints. Help us to rejoice in the reason and the hope that we have to rejoice. Namely, Christ Jesus, our Savior. For surely, Father, if you have given us so much in him, help us to see it. Help us to remember it and believe and know that whatever you bring into our lives is uh, out of your good pleasure in order to shape and to change and to heal and to conform us more into your image. We pray, Father, that you would grant us these graces, that you would set your love upon us and remind us of the glories of the gospel and the blood and the righteousness of Christ that is shed and given for us, a people who d- you uh, do not deserve it and yet whom you set your love upon anyway. We thank you for the grace in Christ of Christ Jesus, and it's in his name that we pray, amen.